welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Okay, um, welcome to the latest episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, My guest today is Mo Saeed of Mojo Supermarket. Um, You are, your agency is based in New York? Yeah. No? As much as anything can be, as much as anything can be based anywhere right now. Yeah, we're based in New York. We we used to have an office in financial district. Now we're moving to Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay, cool. So Mo, uh, can you give us a little bit of like your accelerated resume? You can start from whatever age you you like. It could be twenty-one, or it could be twenty-one months. Yeah, uh, my accelerated. How did you get to right where where you got to today? Yeah, I you know I'm one of those people that kind of knew I wanted to do this when I was like seventeen years old. Um, I liked I like playing music. I like um, I like making movies. I like doing all these things. I like solving problems. So I, I knew I wanted to do this for like a while. Um, I just didn't want to do it in Pakistan. And that's where I grew up. That's where I was growing up. Um, mm-hmm. And when I decided to, so I decided to come here. Uh, I moved to Michigan when I was 18 years old. So when I was 18 years old, I moved to America for the first time and um, quickly realized that to get a job as a writer, not that easy back then, if you're from Pakistan and your name is Muhammad, like two different things where like copywriters are like people from Chicago or Connecticut, right? And if you like back then, if you saw all the CCOs were guys from Connecticut and it, Connecticut's not like just this powerhouse of brains. It's just, it's just where everyone was from. So it was a very homogenized place, right? And I, when I was applying, like my resume would end up in like the Arabic translation agency. Like, although I don't speak Arabic at all. Um, so I, the accent you're hearing right now is, is completely fake. I faked it to get a job and I, Muhammad became Mo. I could get apartments easier. I could get more jobs. And uh, I, com- I watched enough TV to fake this accent. And I got into some of the coolest, best agencies in the world. I worked in BBDO New York. Um, awesome, awesome agency back then, uh, still is. Then I work, got to the chance to work at Droga 5, got the chance to work with like a creative director like David Droga and also just amazingly smart people there. Um, and then I quit and started Mojo Supermarket and we've been around for two years and we work with an array of really awesome clients like Adidas and Netflix and, and uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of really, really amazing clients. And uh, yeah, that's my accelerated resume. It's amazing. So where in Pakistan did you grow up? Lahore. Lahore. So what's, describe Lahore to people who don't really know. Yeah. Lahore is is the most beautiful, most, most magical city ever. We're, um, we're very, very loud. We're expressive people, Punjabi people. We're, we're, um, if you know Bhangra music, that's, that's like Mm -hmm. the capital of, of Punjab is Lahore. Um, We are very, very just, uh, you know, they say it's, it's a really, really fun place, but creatively not the best, right? But because it, culturally and religiously and stuff, cr- the creative arts are kind of looked down upon. So I wanted to be a musician, but that was like the worst you can do. Like my, to my mom, 
me being a musician is the same, almost on par with prostitution. Like it's the same thing. Um, so being a musician wasn't it wasn't a shot. Like you don't make any money doing it, but it's also not a respectful thing. None of the creative arts, movie making, whatever, were at least at that time were a respectful thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, advertising sounded like I could do all of that, but make it sound like marketing, and marketing sounded smart, and I could go to school for that. So, um, what was it like coming to the U.S. the first time? I mean, what was the experience of, of landing here? landing in Michigan uh, for you, having come from Lahore? A lot of fields. Lahore is a city. And I landed in Michigan. I was like, wow, where I'm in a village now. Mm. Um, but it's also, you know, it's a, it's a, I tell people that it's a different world. Like we don't use toilet paper. Like that's like, that, even that little thing, like when you go to the bathroom, it's like a huge, oh shit, what am I doing here? Everything's different. And uh it, it's a it's basically going from you know you it's it's not that big of a culture shock because i went to an american school and like you watch american movies and like so you you kind of have a sense of what it is from the outside but you land in you're still an outsider and you realize this is again this is what, what 12 13 years ago uh it wasn't cool to not be from here in michigan everyone i met was from michigan they looked at people from chicago as like who the fuck is this guy so it was wild because I was this outsider, uh, but it also helped, right? Like you look at things as an outsider and it really shapes the way you think about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I'm, as I'm an outsider too. Um, yeah. So, but how did you, you, you talked at the beginning kind of uh, glibly about faking your accent, um, which is really a, probably a whole podcast unto itself. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, this whole idea of, of language, you know, yeah. and culture and knowing how to write, you know, yeah. for an American audience and to compete against people who have been telling the same inside jokes. Yeah. Since they were 12 yeah. years old and they're part of the boys club and that's what copywriters do. They're, yeah, they can't trying to be they they try to out funny each other, and they're all kind of cultural insights, you know, which yeah. Yeah. which you come and land on these shows, and you don't remember that TV show from nineteen seventy. I still don't. Yeah, uh, and it's it's amazing, right? Like my first, I will say the first like ten ish year, eight nine years of my career, you I tried to fit in, right? Like I tried to fit in into the like I watched I watched I would just like check NFL scores I would, would, would like watch all the sports and know know my beer and like all that stuff and and you pretend to know a lot of references as well like someone says something like oh it's like that and you're like yeah, yeah totally I could do that and then you go look it up and you try to you know I I, I worked on I, I asked to work on baseball we had major league baseball in our group and, and I asked my boss I was like hey can He's like, what, what the hell do you know about baseball? And I was like, what the hell do you know about baseball? You're, you're a German guy. And everyone working on the account is like Australian and British. And I know, like I went to college here and it, it, it's, 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 you have to, you have to work a little harder to kind of assimilate, but the, but that's also the detriment, right? Like the work that I'm doing today, that's the kind of work I wanted to be doing 15 years ago. Like my personal side of work was that, but you conform to this thing. That's why everyone's trying to be the same person in advertising, at least at that time, right? Everyone's trying to be the same copywriter. That's why the work ends up being so bad. 
So I am never going to win trying to be a man from Connecticut against a man from Connecticut. I'm just never going to win that race. Um, and I, for a long time, I, I think everyone conforms to what you're supposed to be in advertising and what you're like, how to fill that box. About two and a half years ago, I realized that I didn't have to do that. And suddenly like my, my whole outlook on this whole thing changed. I, I, I took a little journey on like, getting out of my burnout and figuring out who I was and what I liked and all those things. And, and now the work that you see is very much me. I'm like as much me as I can be. And I wish I had an accent still. Um, so I think you come here and you assimilate and you see, I think every, that's, that's a problem with every minority, right? Every minority tries to assimilate to a certain degree. I had a skin disease uh, called vitiligo, same thing as Michael Jackson had apparently, as I looked white. So I could assimilate harder. So I did what only Michael Jackson and Jesus has been able to do so far. It was like, I pretty much assimilated as hard as I, I could. And if you just looked at me and talked to me, you didn't know otherwise. So I could get the job and I could win the account and I could sell the thing um, until I basically ran up to the top of my career and realized that like the work that I was making was garbage because I was trying to be someone else. Mm. So what, what, what was that? What was that moment of realization then? Because you talked about burnout and you talked about breaking away and was there was actually an, an action you took? You, yeah. 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 There, there was a couple moments. One, um, I was making these ads, like $5 million ads in a day, like for big, big, big companies. And I wouldn't want to watch them as soon as I was done with them. And on the weekends, I was making stupid stuff online that would go viral instantly and I would spend, spend zero money on it. Like I, I've made stuff that like would just go immediately viral. And I was like, this is the kind of work that we need to be doing. This like meaningful work that kind of has mojo. And I didn't, I didn't, wasn't able to do that at work. But in my head, I'm, I'm just here from Pakistan, right? Like I'm three paychecks away from having to move back to Pakistan and working in a bank. So that financial fear always kept me in the job. Even though if I knew I could do this better, I was like, I have to stay in this job. The financial fear went away because I got to a point in my career where I was like, I can freelance whenever I want to and get that money. So that financial pressure was off. Also, something happened where like a Fortune 100 company was my client and they found out where I was from and they asked me off their business. And that was a huge um, kind of moment of realization as well, where I was like, oh, I'm trying to make these people successful that legitimately hate me for no reason other than where my mom was born. Um, how and do, how do they, I mean, how does someone explain that? It's a, it's a, I mean, I guess someone has to explain that to you, but um, yeah, horrible. So, yeah, it's, it's terrible, but it's also the best thing that's ever happened to me. Right. Because, was, you know, I would kick up the ass you needed. Yeah. Cause I, I went into, like, I straight up went into depression for a while, a lot, like a, yes. a uh, like the heavy dose of depression and stint where I was just phoning in work. I didn't know I was kind of lost. And I was like, I'm making these people successful that don't like me at all. Mm -hmm. I Can you still hear me? Yep. Um, I had a ceiling in advertising agencies. I could, I, I could be the, I could be a creative director, but then what would I oversee? I could oversee New York times, but I'm not going to, oversee like a bank or an AT&T or all those things. So I'm never going to rise to the top because I do have a ceiling at an agency. 
So I realized that ceiling. And then I realized that the work that I was doing wasn't good anyway. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I can break this. I can go start my own thing where I can do the work that I know is good, that I know is the future of this work. And I don't have a ceiling. I basically couldn't beat, I couldn't beat the game design, not for me. So I had to design a new game. Yeah. And, and that was very, very freeing because I could design the game however I wanted to. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. When you talk about what what's what's the gap between you? Obviously, there's there's obviously there's a creativity. There's the making stuff you're passionate about, right? You know, that's a key piece. So you there's two pieces. One one is I get you're doing work at the weekends for zero budget yeah. that you're loving because it's fresh. Yeah. And that's the kind of work you want to do now, right? That's the work we're doing. The, in the past year, I've made my best work at Motor Supermarket. Everyone who works here has made their best work at yeah, Motor yeah. Supermarket. And and what so what's 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 wrong? What what what's wrong with the what's what's the gap you're exploiting? You're exploiting a gap. There's something there's something Yeah. yeah. It's it's you know, advertising is this. You spend a dollar and one minute figuring out what you're trying, what you're going to say. And then you spend $99 paying people to listen to that message. So effectively advertising is like, imagine watching a Hulu show, right? And an ad pops up, even if it's the best ad in the world, the most you're going to say is, ha, okay, not as bad as I thought. That's how much brand love you have for that. It's like, okay, made me chuckle. But there's the other kind of brand love on when, a friend sends you something that's like, Ed, fucking look at this thing. It's so cool. I found this thing. And then you Google it and you go look at it and you buy t-shirts of it and you tweet about it and you share about it. Imagine how much you love that brand. And that's the stuff we're trying to make. We're trying to make brands that have mojo that are that like that people want to talk to. Right now, we're everyone's been like, imagine walking into a bar and knowing and saying, like, well, we have this like really shitty line prepared. And I'll just go say it to a bunch. I'll pay a bunch of people to listen to me. But imagine being the most interesting person at the bar. There's people and there's brands that have mojo, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. that you just want to fucking be friends with, that you want to talk to, that you want to listen to. And we're trying to build those kind of brands that have like, then the people become your media plan. You don't need a media plan. You don't need to spend a lot of mon- money paying people to listen to what you have to say. If you're just in, if you if you have a meaningful proposition. And you're in, you're saying it in an interesting way, and you can get people involved. The people become your media plan. They'll they'll like make it bigger and bigger that message by themselves for no money. Yeah, but um, you know, we, we're ultimately talking about definitions of creativity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I mean, yes, and uh, definitions about authenticity too, right? I am more myself now. Everyone in the creative team, I've, I've peeled back the advertising layers and they've become themselves and the creatives that they were. And that's what we do with brands as well. The brands that we work on, we try to peel back the bullshit and then make them the meaningful reason why they exist. Mm. Um, so it's not so, I mean, just there's a lot of like gaming, the, you know, um, it's sort of, there was gaming the system, right? You know, you can. You understand people's shares. I mean, remember, the, it's, it's like viral marketing has been around for 15 years. Yeah. It's been around forever. 
well, it's been around forever, but in the sense of the sort of the organic post on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, but even that was all, even even that was um, manipulated. Yeah, I mean, you try to you try to synthesize things, right? Like I I love I love uh, doing an interview or something, and someone's like trying to analyze how we came up with the thing that we came up with, mm. and I think that's what most of marketing is trying to solve, trying to pro, trying to imagine what good marketing like how they did it, and then trying to apply it to your marketing is what marketers do ninety nine percent of the time. It's called best practices. They just look at a brand that they like. Well, Nike's puts it, it just do it. It's such a simple line. So we need three word line and that's what we need. You're not you when you're hungry. It's kind of a human insight and not a consumer insight. So our line has to be a human insight. You know, they're like, like try to math their way into an idea or math their way into it, into a positioning or a reason. Imagine if you did that as a person, if you were like, you know what? People like Barack Obama because he's funny. So I'm going to be funny. And he, he, he kind of does this finger gun thing when he makes a joke. So I'm going to start doing that. And then people will like me more. But in reality, you're going to look like an idiot doing it because you're not Barack Obama. And what makes you cool is different than like, you know, your person is different. So it's a little bit about we spend a lot of time figuring out why you are meaningful. Like why you why should anybody give a shit about you? And I think that's a question that not a lot of marketers are willing to ask or answer. Like, why should anyone give a shit about your microwavable eggs or whatever it is that you're selling? You can find a meaningful reason for it to exist, and then you try to be creative with it, and then you try to take that too far. Yeah, I mean, it's like, um, really, you know, that's why you have the the kind of um, brands jumping on bandwagons like NFTs. You're yeah. a boring fast food pizza chain. No one gives a shit about you. So you're going to launch an NFT because yeah. that's the only way you're going to be able to take get, get some kind of cultural interest. If or, it's in the news now and you're trying to jump on it, you're way too late. Right. But even, even there's a diminishing scale. Even, yeah. even if you're late, you still get, you get more than launching a new pizza topping. Right. But you're you're never meaningful, right? No, like you can get likes. You never, you never, you're right. You're absolutely right. You're never, you're never, you're never meaningful. Uh, I think so many um, companies have, have they, they they just sort of lost sight of it. They become giant borgs of corporationness, and then they just forget about who they are and what they're supposed to be doing, and they keep churning out crap, and um, they don't yeah. they, they don't understand. They don't they've they've never. They've lost the will. They've lost the will to live. They they go in with this is what we have to make. They have yeah. an Excel spreadsheet of what they have to make. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. imagine walking into a bar. My old example: walking into a bar and saying exact, yeah. like knowing exactly when and what you're going to say. Yeah. No matter who you're going to in, in, encounter and what you really like, what your message is. Well, That's it's insane. The, um, the one I the, I use the wheat thin Stephen Colbert example. Yeah. Ten years old. Yeah. Ripping on a brief. Yeah. No more than eight. You know, and that's what they get lost in. They get yeah. lost in the, in the in the process, and um, they forget that there's there's a world outside. Um, so, what does that mean then when you're working for these companies? Does that do, do, how do you how do you pitch yourself to them? 
you, it sounds like you're kind of the antithesis of everything that they've sort of experienced. No, we're, we're very, very lucky. I want to knock on wood. Yeah. We're very, very lucky. We're everything we've made so far has broken the news. Everything we've made so far has been effective. So we're very lucky where a lot of really smart people just come to work with us, right? Like they, they want to work with us. And I think because we're lucky, we usually get the smarter, really smart marketers that understand this and understand the impact of it. So half my job is done, which is like half of your job is like convincing people to try to do the thing that they're doing. So a lot of my job is done that way. Um, the second thing is like when it makes, when we do the work, we start with like finding what's meaningful to you or what's going to change, what's actually going to change uh, the conversation. It starts to make sense. Honestly, the work sells itself. Um, we haven't had, there is, there is people. So, you know, on our, even on our website, we we love working on brands that excite us. We love working with people that excite us. And if we get in a relationship where the people aren't as exciting, like the people aren't smart and they don't get it or whatever, we'll end that relationship really fast because we have a limited amount of time to work on stuff. Um, but to be honest, the people that we're working with, whether it's our rhythm, the, the renewable energy client, all the way up to like a couple of clients that we'll announce this week mm -hmm. um, to, to people at Netflix and to be people at did everyone gets it. And that's why they're here at Mojo Supermarket. And that's what's different about agencies. We're so small, we're so new the people that come here know the value of that before coming here. Mm. And so what does that, how does that impact the people you want working with you? Not client side, but, but um, talent inside in-house talent. So we have the greatest creative team ever. And I'm not just saying I've been in the greatest creative teams ever before. Um, so I pick, you know, again, going back to my uh, experience, instead of having a job function and like having a role to hire in for, I just find, the smartest people I can find and then say, I will figure out what to do with you. Mm -hmm. The other thing is creatives over time aren't given feedback. They, they, they do, they treat creatives like corporate slaves, right? Like you, once a year you get an annual review, someone pulls you into a room and mm -hmm. there's two creatives, very non-confrontational. They're like, Hey, you're doing great. Here's $5,000 more. Keep doing what you're doing. But no one works on their game. I'm like, Hey, I think you always go to this way. You always think of video scripts first maybe if you thought about it this way or maybe you you would present better this way or like taking we're very insecure people like taking away our insecurities so what i do is i have i work with these guys i'm basically a glorified therapist for creatives basically i meet with these guys every two weeks i work on their game and i'm basically finding really really smart people that burnt out of advertising don't want to do advertising anymore and stripping all the advertising bullshit out of it and stripping their insecurities out of it so we have a team where everyone from account people and strategists and everyone's creative. And I know that sounds great on paper and people have said that before, but everyone's open to feedback. Everyone works really hard on the thing that they're like, they're big. They're already, we're hiring the smartest creatives because they've seen the work. They know they can get this work, but I'm trying to make them the best creatives as well. And I think we have all improved in the last, some of these creatives I've known for nine, 10 years they would all say that they've improved this year more than ever before because of the way we run our creative team. Mm. I can talk, I can, I can give you a Ted talk and about that for like four hours and how we do that. It's pretty fun. Are clients part of the creative team? They hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. That's why, that's why we have to find smart, interesting clients. Yeah. Because you can't, no, no, no agency alone has made amazing work and no brand alone has made amazing work. It's, there's yeah. never happened. 
it's always been a really, really good relationship. And people, un people underestimate that, that a lot of good work is the relationship. I have to be able to text you and say, this is bullshit. And you have to be able to text me and say that. I have to be able to fight for something or convince you and like be on the same like brainwaves as you. We hire our clients just like we hire, like our people get hired by our clients in the same, the other way around too. When I like a good marketer that I've worked with, I like to try to keep them close. And even if they're moving somewhere else, I like try to get them where I want, like the job that, that they, like I, it, it's, it's one big team for sure. If you, if you look at the world of Madison Avenue, yeah. you know, from being like super dominant, 1955 madman yeah. the madman era you know literally doing everything that could start the consumerist society yeah the point where you know you're seeing articles now where people are talking about the best businesses the best sites are ad free yeah that netflix doesn't have ads yeah. um uh, clubhouse doesn't run ads yeah the places that people want to be, you mentioned Hulu. Yeah. Uh, places that people want to be um, increasingly ad-free. Isn't it an amazing world? It's a, it's awesome. It's like the, how the world should be. And so what what does that, with the spaces shrinking and people going, I'm going to pay influencers. Yeah. And I don't need to create anything. They'll do it all. And yeah. then there's this thing called TikTok. Yeah. What does that mean? Is it like a diminishing landscape? I don't think so. You're, you're, you're basically saying, like in the 60s, they were saying there's celebrities and there's TV. So there's the same version of there's influencers and there's TikTok, right? Influ just because there's celebrities and there's TV doesn't make a brand. And just because there's influencers and there's TikTok doesn't make a brand either. Influencers, I would argue, do a lot of really good product marketing. They don't build a brand as well as other. That's a whole other talk I can get into at some point. Um, I am so fucking glad advertising is dying. It's the best thing that's ever happened to advertising mm -hmm. because I can't pay you to watch anything now. So mm -hmm. I can't make something shitty. Mm -hmm. And now the reasons for making the, you know, the pandemic was the greatest thing that happened to us. This time last year, we almost died. We had no clients. We had a couple people on payroll, no clients on the horizon because I'd never been a C-suite person that just like mm -hmm. had friends to give me mm -hmm. business. So this time last year, everyone, like a, an agency, a big holding company agency was like, come be our CCO. And I was like, what do you mean? I have a job and mm -hmm. I have an agency. They're like, but it's going to die, right? Because it's just math. Mm -hmm. But what happened was we went into this pandemic and when you took off the fast talking suits and you took off big production and you took off like TV and all that stuff, people realized that their work wasn't that creative at all. And people didn't give a shit about it. Remember that YouTube video that, that like all COVID ads are the same. That was the best new business driver for us because yeah. people saw that and said, what the actual fuck this, like this, this whole business sucks mm. and it's awful. And the work we're putting out is disposable garbage that no, we don't even want to look at again. And you're living life through your Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and TikTok, Right. So if I, as a brand, what I'm doing doesn't end up on your feed naturally because someone is writing about it or someone is talking about it, then what am I spending all this money on? So that is going to make the work interesting. Like imagine if TV came out a long time ago and then we were like, you know what? The TV shows don't have to be interesting because we'll just pay people to watch them. 
that's what advertising has been so far. We're like, we media will reign king. Where like now you just have to be interesting. And media also you can use in interesting ways. Like we've used airdrops, we've created technology that hacks a broadcast. We've like, you know, we've created new kinds of media, but you have to just create something interesting that people, interesting movement that people want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, what Nike was able to do with Colin Kaepernick, it was something meaningful that mattered to people. And they were able to do it with one billboard. And mm-hmm. it didn't matter. Like they didn't have to put out films and stuff, although they did because they had made the statement and that one meme or one whatever was all they needed because they were finally saying something meaningful and interesting that people wanted to be a part of. People burned shoes, people bought stock. That's advertising. And I think people ignore it. Like, you know, a lot of clients come to us and say, I want to do advertising. Tesla doesn't do advertising. I don't want to do advertising. And I was like, okay, cool. Then you, sh- then I need you to go to Joe Rogan podcast and smoke weed with Joe Rogan. Cause that's advertising. When he buy, when he makes stuff for random hospitals, mm-hmm. that's advertising. When he makes a flamethrower, that's advertising. Mm-hmm. And advertising has just changed into interesting things, which is the work that we all wanted to make the whole time. So I'm so glad that that's happening. Yeah. So you survived the pandemic. You've grown, we did. You've, you've, you've grown stronger. You've yeah. helped you come up with a point of view. And where does this take you? You're not going to take any more calls from uh, people offering you uh, CCO jobs. No, I, I, uh, we're, we're not going to take any calls of, of, acquisition which is the calls that we're getting now like that that's that's where we're at now right and i am i love doing this i this is like i'm actually really love doing this i am a creative at heart i want to build the greatest home for creatives that's what i'm building mm. um the greatest creative team ever if you if you step inside the office and someday hopefully this is this is in person you can take a look mm. every freelancer that comes in and every client or everyone that comes in is like this is insane these guys are super talented, really, really nice. There's no politics. And that's what I want to build. I want to build the greatest creative home. Yeah. And then people, clients, brands, like we were doing a music video, which we're, we're just an ideas company, right? Like advertising is part of what we do. We're making a product for someone. Mm. We uh, create technology like that broadcast technology that we made mm. that we'll, we're licensing out. Um, we're doing a music video for a very, 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 very big music star maybe the biggest music star Mm -hmm. out there right now Mm -hmm. where so we we did the rihanna's fashion show so i just want to make the greatest creative team ever that can solve problems and make things that people want to be a part of so that that means i mean the people people have to think outside of silos and boxes and and be happy to to be doing you know People I've been, have to be themselves. In the industry, so you know, I've been in the industry so long that it, it it just it was just hard to find people who would not go to TV first. You know, there was sort of yeah. a cultural problem with agencies that every every answer to every question is television. Yeah, and um, you don't get the fashion show. You don't get the music video. You might. It's it's the, it's the back of a deck. And I and it was it's, it's just, slide eighty seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the slide eighty seven is now slide one. The, it is slide one, and the, and I think, you know, I, this is a, also a great line from Jerry Graff off a podcast. I would love to give him credit. Where you know, I heard him. People were like, "How do you sell this kind of work?" 
And he's like, I present, I present it. That's why. And we don't present anything that we don't believe in. And sometimes we like, I have had the worst client meeting also at Mojo where we got just like, they were just like, Hey, stop reading this, please stop. And end this call because that, our work isn't for everyone, right? Like it's, if, if, yeah. you, if you're happy with how you're doing things, how things are running, yeah. it, it, we're not for you and which is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you, we, to, to your earlier point on how we do that is I want to get creatives that are really, really smart and that like making things and doing things and let them be themselves. So I have a designer, she's from FJ China, right? And she's an artist. She's a full, like she's an art student, not an advertising person. Usually advertising would train her into be, how do you do advertising? Instead of her let the, her influence the company on how do we think more like a fucking uh, artist here from China. So the, the, the stuff that we'll get from her brain and, and the ideas that we'll get, if she's made feel comfortable here and, and you cultivate those talents and drive her even further into that artist in China place, artist from China place, we will get ideas that we've never seen or heard of before. And then you make the most diverse team. I don't just mean like, like skin shades. Talent. Talent, diversity of thought. Like I'm a Pakistani man, just another Pakistani man doesn't think like me. So yeah, getting different people and then letting them be themselves and encourage like cultivating creative talent. Nobody does, nobody cultivates creative talent. People use creative talent. People use it like a well. That's why at the greatest, biggest agencies, all these creatives are burnt out by the end, like two or three years stint. They don't stick around at the most creative agency for too long. Um, we don't work, well, I mean, we don't work right. Saturdays. And- yeah, no, I mean, I just, um, a year ago, I worked on this thing called, called the new conditions for creativity. Yeah. So it basically is like, I mean, it starts with this premise is there's no leading sports organization in the world that doesn't nurture its athlete. Yeah. Right. It doesn't know, you know, you know, every vital stat of your defender or midfielder or base third baseman or whatever. Yeah. Um, When a art director leaves an ad agency, someone goes, Fred's gone. Well, Bill, Bill Bill needs, (laughs) Bill needs a partner. What about giving him, what about giving uh, Sid, you know, what about finding Sid? You know, yeah. Yeah. There's, no, there's no thought, you know, and I, I felt that, you know, in the in this process of looking at this, it's almost like the creative industry as like the art industry um, loves this mystique, this this kind of like, we don't, we hide behind a black box. We don't really have a plan, right. but no one's going to know that we don't have a plan and we don't want to tell anyone. And yeah, yeah. going you know, to exist in this. Um, whereas, you know, somebody's paying, you know, a big creative department in a New York agency, the amount yeah. of like dollars investment in that is ridiculous. It's yeah, almost yeah. as much as a sports it's team. It's insane. Yes, yeah, totally. And but there's no nurturing and there's no, uh, there's no. Wouldn't you want the best players if you were, if you were hiring a team, wouldn't you want them? Like, you know, we we just want to pitch. When is when does this podcast go live? I want to see if I can say what pitch we. I'll just say we just want to pitch that um, four or five other agencies were on very big agencies, and and my friend was running it from another big agency, big holding company agency, and uh, she. I said, how many people worked on the pitch? Over all in all, not hundred percent of the time, 
27 people worked on that pitch from this agency, big household name agency. From our side, five people worked on that agency, on that pitch. And we won in the room. And that's just because if you look at a scope of 30 people, right? Only six people are really doing the work. And there's other people that are there on the scope to make money. That's another thing in our industry. There's this thing called blended rate, which is how clients judge how much they should pay you. And we've managed to blended rate just means like the combined rate of all the rates. You, you understand this probably. And that's why people hire a lot of really junior people that don't do anything um, to make the blended rate look smaller and make more money. I tried to hire people who are just smart and like doing the work, not just really, really smart people get promoted as managers, right? And then eventually they're not doing the work at all. I like, and there's some people that are unhappy with not getting their hands dirty in the work. I like those people. I like bringing in those people. Our strategist is a film guy. He likes film and Brazilian music. And like, mm-hmm. so I like finding really, really weird people that like doing the work and they will make each Another thing in creative departments is the best at the best agencies, creative departments are very, very competitive and they're made to be competitive because people work harder. I get it. I, I understand it. But imagine you're, you're competitive through ad school, you're competitive through your career, and then you become a creative director. Now you have to nourish talent and get work out of them. But your whole life, all you've done is compete against other creatives. How are you going to make another creative better when all you know is to compete with them? That's why at us, it's like, our culture is completely different. Our, we don't have the competitiveness. Everyone helps. Someone comes up with an idea. Someone else goes and produces it. Someone else comes back and like puts on the finishing touches. The other day, an, an ACD pers- uh, level art director just told the junior designer, he said, hey, let me take all those banners off your plate all the, like, and so you can work on this Adidas thing because I feel like it would be better for the team if you did that. And he did 14 hours of banners. This guy who's been around, no ego, just took this junior designers work all day. No other agency will that happen at. No other creative team will that happen at. These guys are, it's a culture that we're building that is the greatest creative team ever. It's not just like these guys' brains are just bigger. Mm. That's an interesting point. When wait, You know, um, you, you create, you know, I think the most famous creative culture in the world of advertising is Widen Kennedy, without a doubt. Yeah. Hands down. Really great culture. But you have to protect, you know, you have to protect that culture. And yep. if you become successful, then you, you know, you've got these, you've got these really smart, creative, artistic people who have very kind of notions that, they're being nurtured and they're being protected and they're in this environment. And then you bring these yeah. clients in that pay the bills. Yeah. Um, and you potentially get into this conflict because they, you want, you need the money because you're trying to run yeah. a business, but yeah. they're not doing the kind of, they're not allowing you to do the kind of work that you want to do. And that's why you see with Wyden, you know, they, they've had, some massive failures where yeah. clients just haven't stuck around or they just haven't, it just hasn't worked. And, yeah. um, and, and, and so, you know, this is running a business. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's, you know, you, you know, you're running a commercial it's, clients that have commercial expectations. And, it is. And you, I think so our computer, the computer I'm talking to you on is are the computers from Jerry Graff's agency. So, mm-hmm. This is a very, very real reminder to me every day. 
Yeah. Um, the work we're doing. So I disagree with you a little bit. First, I'll say the work that we're doing isn't just creative for creative sake, right? It, it has to work and it has to ch like change someone's mind on something. So, so far our work hasn't just been like, it's not just flashy as in like, let's light a billboard on fire for no reason. It's like, let's light a billboard on fire. And then the headline doesn't say billboard on fire. It says the meaningful thing that you want. So it's, it's work that works. But secondly, so, so far I disagree because so far the people that have, the clients that have come in have the same agenda as us. We want to make them successful. Mm. We want to make their, we want to grow their business. Our goal is to get to 2030 and look back at the 10 most meaningful brands that have Mojo in the world. And four of them were ours. Mm. Um, so right now the, the, the interests align, but then the second thing that you're saying is like when success hits, like when, when you're chasing success, how do you, how do you rationalize that? That's just because I have a different, different gauge of success. I am coming from sleeping in the same bedroom as my mom and my sister in Pakistan, turning the AC off every other hour because we couldn't afford it. I have financially have gotten all the success I need. I have a, my own very own apartment that I, no one else lives here. That's insane to me already. So financially I've hit it. I'm done. Success to me looks as making successful work. So if there are clients and we have, we've, we've had a, we've had to let go of a, uh, of a fortune hundred company recently that paid our bills the most, that was the highest paying client, uh, because success didn't align like their, their version of success or how to get there wasn't the same as our, our version of success. They didn't want success. They wanted to say that they hired this agency. Um, they didn't really want their brand to be successful. So I think it'll last because widens a big i the, the most amazing agency they're a very big machine they started in a different time and i'm in a different time and we won't grow that big probably we will grow differently like we are a, we are a company for creatives by creative so we will start publications and we'll start other things that are for creatives so revenue streams don't aren't just advertising for us like i said we're doing fashion shows and music videos mm -hmm. um so we won't take just advertising clients that want to do advertising that we don't want to do ever. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting, um, you know, this, uh, do you know Rumba Colors? <clears throat> Rumba mm -hmm. Colors magazine. I think throughout history, there've been some amazing like examples of people, like I, I did actually meet Tibor Kalman. And, yeah. Um, and he said, you know, you've got to, if you, if you want to create, if you want to create a creative establishment, you've got to find Medici's who are going to fund it. And, yeah. you know, and he was going on about, you know, he was convinced that the, it was Samsung was going to be, and, and, and that these were the, the these were going to be predominantly artistic ventures, Yeah. you know, with, but sponsored by brands. Yeah. Were, you know, and then, I mean, in, when I was back in London years, t decades ago, there was an agency called Tomato. There was a graphic design shop. Yeah. They had a policy in-house in where they would have to do a number of personal projects. Yep. We do too. Yeah. So, I mean, you've you got to, being it's, able to um, kind of uh, foster that um, is very unusual. It's different, right? Like. What, what I want to clarify is like, we're not artists. I'm not an artist. Yeah. And the people that are here aren't artists. So they don't make art for art's sake. They make 
like us hacking the Oscars, spending money on hacking the Oscars to fix it, right, is something that bothered us in the world. And that was meaningful to us. And we decided to create a nonprofit and, and create a, 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 a channel, basically, and invent that technology and, and all that stuff and make that campaign. So it's not just like, I'm going to do this really nice painting because it's, it's fun. Um, it's solving, like using creativity to solve problems and making things more interesting or whatever. Like music videos have been around for forever, right? Like, but I, besides production value and different storylines and maybe a little bit of interactivity sometimes, I haven't seen much, music videos haven't changed much. So our, when we look at that and we say, oh, that's interesting. This is the biggest star in the world. What does he or she deserve in their music video? And like, what, what, what are they trying to say? What, what's the message that they're trying to convey? And what's an interesting way we can convey that? Um, so it's never, even the personal projects that these guys do, it's, it's things that bother them and things that they want to work on. Problems, like, they, hey, want, problems they want to solve. Exactly. Yeah. And we work on those problems. And so I think um, there is a point where art becomes frivolous and, and it's just creativity. And I'm, I was never an artist, so I don't, I've never considered myself an artist. So I think we're, we're a little safe there because a lot of art, if it's just pure art for no reason, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, but we will have people fund the business, but they will be part of the business. I think that's what the difference is from Dan Wyden's shop and, and David Drogo's shop and, and this, where they're not funding the art. They are the art themselves the brand is the art and we're making it together with them and we're never going to make ads for their brand that they're paying for we're going to make their brand together that they're like we're either invested in or not but like we're helping to grow that mm -hmm. um so far we're very very lucky like i said things have changed in the last year right like people view this whole thing differently now people want good work and people want to stand out and people want to mean something to someone so the culture has kind of done most of our work Yeah, where people come to us for a specific reason. And if we like working with them, it's an amazing, amazing time. So where, where do you think we, what do you, where do you stand on, you know, brands right now? We've got all these issues in Georgia. Yeah. And it's become, become massively political. Obviously, it was yeah. always political, but now it's brands are involved. Yeah, is that something they should should be doing? Yeah, you know, in the '90s, you could be Coca-Cola. You could be for everyone. You didn't have to say anything. You could just have a polar bear running around, and you were like, "Awesome, Coca-Cola! I'd love it." This is a different generation. People want meaning out of what they do. I I'm drinking this tea because of what this brand means to me, not because it looked cool or not because it, I like, like, you know, I like their ad. This is a different time. People now, especially the next generation wants brands that they can be friends with, that they can align with, that their mission aligns with, that their beliefs align with. So brands have to be like people. What, when brands got on Twitter, what they didn't realize is they were becoming people. And they were like, what's our brand voice. You just have to be yourself that they became effectively, they became people. So now they have to act as people and they have to take sides and they have to, they not take sides, but they have to have point, a point of view. They have to be meaningful. I'm not saying, you know, that can go far too far as well. We're like gushers commenting on what's happening in Georgia and, and 
it not meaning anything. Um, but you can do meaningful things. And I think people want meaningful brands now more so than ever before. So I think it's a, I think it's a smart thing. I think there's two sides to it. I think there's the, I think there's the way I call it is if you assume that one of the things we've been through with the pandemic is yep. ultimately a question, a questioning of absolutely everything. Yeah. Then there, then you, you, you either stand with the status quo, which yep. is basically the past, or you stand for the future. And the yep. future is, is questioning and solving yep. the massive breadth of issues from uh, racial injustice to climate change to um, diversity, whatever it is. There's, there's, so yeah. if you're not seen as taking action or you'll see, you're therefore seen as backing the status quo, which is a regressive yeah. move. So, so that, the, cost, the cost of not acting. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that, the the whole cancel culture is, is problematic for sure. That part is very problematic. People doing things out of fear is problematic because it doesn't have any meaning behind it, and it actually is making things worse. If it's not really making things better, um, it's performative in a way. But you know, there's more. You have to you have to worry about the the issues that matter to you. I. To me, diversity matters a lot because what I've been through and what I that that like the place that I'm trying to build where I can feel comfortable as who I am mm -hmm. uh, being. So, but creativity also matters to me, and like how we nurture creativity matters to me. Does um, like a bill on how much uh, like you know there might be unrelated things that don't matter to me, mm -hmm. and I don't have to be performative and 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 like them or whatever. I think brands these days say there's three issues. Let's hop on that bandwagon and make sure everyone's seeing that we're doing these things. But there's hundreds of issues, right? If you come off as authentic thing where we're a creative company, we hacked the Oscars to back up female creatives. We did that because those are our people and we did that for them mm -hmm. and with them. Mm -hmm. If I just did a random thing for the like, like, a trashman of New York and I don't know anything about them and I'm just doing it to kind of stand in the right place, then, then it's bad because I'm doing it to either not get canceled or just to, to benefit from that thing. And it, that, that can get really, really, you know, there, I read it, I read an amazing tweet where it was like, you know, when, uh, back when we used to disagree with something, we would just like not watch it or shut up about it or not buy it instead of like actively making sure not, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, so yeah, there, I think a lot of people are, a lot of brands are operating out of fear right now about fear of inaction and fear Just of how really, they'll I see. Mean, it, it, you know, it gets to, it's so binary. That's the problem. If yeah. you raise your hand and say, we don't, we don't believe, we don't want to be behind forced labor in China. Right. Your brand is Nike. It's the biggest brand in the world. Yeah. But the but no one's gonna the only thing that's gonna happen is the China, Chinese will cancel you. Yeah. Yeah. What do you it's do you sit by do you stand by silently? Yeah. Or do you face the consequences? It's very significant. 
Yeah, you do meaningful things that matter instead of saying things. I, you know, it's a very, t- this is like obviously case by case and it's very, very tr- troubling thing either way. Um, you can't say we don't stand by forced labor and then your most of your labor is in China. I would agree with that. Like that just doesn't make any sense, right? It's the same thing as like LeBron James is now getting called out for sponsoring Sprite. You know that man's never drank a Sprite. He can't. He's had, And I think more and more people are just like, why are you selling this thing when you don't, believe in this thing right. so for the yeah so the first time people are saying be authentic to yourself and that's what companies have to do it right as like nike if they have bad labor uh, policies in china can't say we stand by the labor policies right like they have to actually do something right. and and gain traction that way and do the right things adidas talks a lot about sustainability, but they do a lot for sustainability as well. So they, they can rightfully say that stuff. Um, so I think you, you kind of have to start by doing, you know, actions speak louder than words. Yeah. Looking forward to the rest, the rest of the year, what are your, okay, now I'm actually gonna change the question. Um, yeah, do it, do it. Three, we've got three minutes left. What should, what is inspiring you right now that you recommend people take a look at? It just could be work, could be, something you read, some, someone you follow, some book you picked up, I don't know, anything that you've been particularly excited about. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. There's a few things, man. You know, to be honest, a lot of people ask me what first half of that question is like, where do you draw your inspiration from? Generally, do you go to museums or do you read? I live in New York city and I love, I live in Chinatown. I have like all sorts of weird, I go, people, people are my inspiration because it's like for what we're making is for them. They have to get excited. Yep. Um, so I love, I get it from a hundred percent of New York city. Um, things that I've read or seen or watched, you know, I think it's, it's really interesting what Netflix is doing as a company, like as a business businessman, like I, I really like what Netflix is doing as a company. Uh, what they've done in India, you know, I, I grew up watching Bollywood films, what they're successfully doing in India really well, what they're doing, expanding here in New York and um, creating, you know, that's a creative company that make that that keeps me up at night, like in a good way. Like, you know, I want to, we work with them a lot and I want to keep working with them. That's a good creative company. Um, so these days I'm worried about building the greatest creative home. Pixar being a, like, a, I just read Creativity Inc., which I would recommend to anyone running a creative company ever anywhere. Um, it's by Ed Catmull. Um, so I'm now these days I'm getting inspired by what are creative cultures going all the back way way back to like the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire, like when they had philosophers as a job function. What did they do and how do they nurture that environment? What was that library like? So I'm these days I'm trying to build the greatest creative home. So I'm worried I'm focused on that more so and it's really exciting stuff like i have I have, no. I have friends that are psychiatrists i'm working with them to see what what you know gets you out of your insecurity and unless you be oh, more yeah. creative do, and open and all those things do you know a guy called aaron duffy no um i interviewed him like a couple of weeks ago he, he runs his own company called special guest he did but he did um he's a director and he did uh Parisian yeah. love and he did Parisian love for google and he did the speed test work for chrome yeah he's yeah. really i think you guys should just get along i mean you just he's running his own creative yeah. business he has a you, you share a lot of similar i'll work. reach out to him talking yeah. to other people also 
trying to cultivate creativity. You know, yeah. I'm, like I said, I'm just a glorified therapist. I'm a farmer. Exactly. I, they, the real people are the ones that you don't see on this podcast. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I really appreciate your time. This is your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.